It's been 13 years since Joseph's coat was ripped from him. When his, his, his dignity was torn away. When all that he had was torn away. But he put his faith in God and the promises that God had made to him. And now in verse 42 it says, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. What his brothers had torn away, had stolen from him, now God restores. Well, we've been in a series this fall called God at Work When We Can't See Him. And we've been saying that we follow an invisible God and we've been called to walk by faith. And yet, Scripture gives us some understanding of how God works, some of the principles by which he often operates, so that we're in, when we're in those situations, when it just feels like life doesn't make sense, uh, we can have a, a, a guide, a template to understand his working and to uh, make better sense of God's ways. Uh, this morning, we're talking about what difference uh, does God make. And some people are, are threatened by those kinds of questions. And yet, if you've been with us since the beginning of Joseph's story, you know that, that we've been dealing with a lot, of, uh, a lot of difficult things in Joseph's life. And it's a question, I think, uh, at this point in our series that we need to, to deal with, we need to ask. Uh, Ricky Gervais had, had an article in the uh, Wall Street Journal where he uh, he entitled the article, Why I'm, Why I'm an Atheist. But he shared his story growing up, uh, growing up, church background, uh, in, in his terms. Uh, he said, uh, I loved, uh, believed in God, loved Jesus, he was my hero. And yet there was a, uh, a day when that changed. Uh, he talks about uh, one day when he was sitting at the kitchen table drawing a picture of his hero, Jesus, and his 19-year-old brother came in. So his brother, 11 years older than him, he said he was one of the smartest people he'd ever, uh, smart, smartest people he knew. But his brother, while also being very smart, he had a habit of talking back and uh, getting himself into trouble. Ricky, on the other hand, um, a little hard to believe now, but Ricky was the, he was a good one. He was a well-behaved kid. He, he was the one who always uh, pleased his mother. And, uh, and on this particular day, his brother, Bobby, comes in, sees uh, Ricky at the kitchen table drawing a picture of Jesus on the cross uh, excitedly. And uh, he says, why do you still believe in God? And while Ricky was not particularly thrown off by the question, his mother's reaction uh, was, stu stood out to him. Uh, when he said that, his mother uh, panicked at the question. And she said, Bobby. And Ricky knew what she meant by Bobby. It was clear that she wanted him to shut up. And he couldn't figure out why. Couldn't figure out why his mother was so threatened by that question. Uh, he, he later described what went through his mind. He said, why was that a bad thing to ask? 
oh, hang on. There is no God. He knows it, and she knows it deep, deep down. It's as simple as that. I started thinking about it and asking more questions, and within an hour, I had become an atheist. He had given up. Don't you wish that his mother had a good answer to that question? Don't you wish that his mother at least had the courage to let Ricky answer the question because he would have been happy to answer it? And I wonder if you have an answer to that question. Why do you still believe in God? And related to that, if you've been tracking with us as we have been walking through the story and the life of Joseph, you know that there are some other questions that we need to ask. Joseph has suffered bullying. He's been threatened with murder. He's been sold into slavery. He has been unjustly treated, tossed into prison, abandoned by someone who should have felt gratefulness towards him. And it felt, and it feels maybe, that he's been forgotten. And I think the question that we need to ask is, why bother? Like, what difference does God make? Why continue to follow a God who allows things like that? I think we need to be able to answer those questions. And today's passage deals with those very questions and helps us to get our heads around what, uh, what difference God makes when some of our circumstances are tough, when we look around and we see that life is hard. What difference does God make is a question that we're asking as we turn to today's passage. I want to encourage you to join with me, uh, uh, look at the scriptures together with me. We're in Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 16. Uh, on the black, in the Black Church Bibles, uh, on the rack under the seat in front of you, it's on page 32. And uh, I'm going to read verses 1 to 16, but we're going to uh, deal with the entire chapter. Genesis 41, verses 1 to 16. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive plump cows. And Pharaoh woke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears. And Pharaoh woke. And behold, it was in the dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, "Ah, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. 
And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. When he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there's no one who can interpret it. I've heard, that, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is the word of God. Now, this passage and this chapter gives uh, three answers to the question, what difference does God make? And the, the, the first of those is this. God can give you peace when you feel powerless. When you're in those times when you don't feel like you're in control and you realize, I am out of control, this is beyond me, knowing the one who is in control can give us a peace and an anchor, can give rest to our souls in the midst of those troubling times. He can give you peace when you feel powerless. Now, as we begin the passage, it begins and it opens in crisis. Pharaoh, the most powerful, powerful person in this part of the world at the time, he has had a nightmare and it's caused panic in him. And he's then gone to the, the, the wisest people he knows, the people that usually have all the answers, and they are drawing blanks. They don't know what to make of it either. And so there, there is this sense of dread and panic uh, in the people that are in, uh, in, in, this, in this scene and in normally in control of things. Pharaoh's nightmare is simple. Seven horrible, ugly-looking, emaciated cows have eaten up the good-looking, plump, fat cows. But cows are vegetarians. They don't eat other cows. This is a very strange dream. And then he has this other dream about these seven heads of grain that are, that are thin and ugly and diseased and damaged. And they're eating up the seven healthy, fat heads of grain. And we're left wondering what they were left wondering. Is this an omen? Is, is there some kind of plague coming? Is there a curse on the land? Nobody knows exactly what these dreams mean and what to do with them. In verse 8, when Pharaoh wakes up, it just says, in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Again, his advisors can't help him. The wise men are turning out in this moment not to be very wise. And as you read this scene and you feel the, the weight of this moment, you realize that while all of us have our coping mechanisms, some people feel stronger and more capable than others. There, there are some things where we feel in relative control compared to other situations. But the fact is, all of us will one day or another face a pharaoh moment. We all will face times in our lives where we feel like, I'm, I'm, I'm not up for this. This is beyond me. It is a challenge that I don't have the resources to deal with, and I don't have the way to get through. Ricky Gervais will face one of those days. His older brother, Bobby, 
as strong and smart and capable as he seems, he will face one of those days. You will, I will, we all will. And when you face that day, your relationship with the creator of the universe changes everything. Your your connection to him, your faith and trust in him makes a difference. It is in that day when we feel our uh, the, uh, the, the, not only our need of him, but the confidence that he gives us in uh, those, those difficulties. If you're someone who's turned your back on God or just had a, a casual or superficial relationship with him, then the sense of powerlessness will be overwhelming. We will take a difficult trial and we will add add weight to it, add difficulty to it, because our mind will be swirling with fears, questions, doubts that we don't know what to do with. Show me someone facing a nightmare in their life, as Pharaoh was, as his advisors was were, because their jobs are on the line, remember? Show me someone in that situation and tell me that God doesn't make a difference. Tell me that it doesn't matter what you think about God. Now, Pharaoh wants to treat Joseph like a fellow power broker. Pharaoh is a powerful person. He hears, oh, there's, there's a powerful person in the, in the, in the realm of, uh, of, of dreams. I'll, I'll, I'll call him up and I'll get him to deal with this. In verse 15, he says, I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Now remember, for a long time, Joseph has been feeling neglected, underappreciated, undervalued. It would be very easy in this moment for him to I'll be moved by the flattery. Well, thank, you for, thank you for noticing. I'm glad you, you've recognized my talents. You know, I do have kind of a knack for dreams. That's kind of my deal. He could have responded that way. And yet, here he is with the most powerful person in the world, as far as he's concerned, and he flatly rejects him, he flatly uh, sets him straight, and uh, he says in verse 16, it's not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Joseph has no money, he has no status, he has no power, he has no position, and yet he is standing in a position of confidence because of his relationship with God and the most powerful person in the world, uh, in, at least in Joseph's world, is in weakness, in fear, and in his spirit, he's deeply troubled. God makes a difference in those moments. Your relationship with God makes a difference in those moments. I love Joseph's conviction. He hasn't even heard the dream yet. And yet he is convinced that God is the solution to it. He's convinced that that God will be the answer to whatever whatever Pharaoh has dreamt, whatever Pharaoh is dealing with. When he says that God will give him a favorable answer, the the Hebrew word there is actually shalom. He will give him a shalom answer. It, It doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to be good news, but... In the midst of this news and in facing this news and understanding what God is about to do, this God can give you peace in the midst of that. And that is what's promised to 
all of, all of his followers, all those who come to enjoy a relationship with him through faith in his son. That's what Jesus promises his followers in John 16, 33. He says there, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take, take heart, I've overcome the world. When you know with confidence that you are rightly related to the God who is bigger than all that is going on in your life, you can face those trials, you can deal with those nightmares with a confidence that the darkness will not overcome. That, that God will be your light in the midst of that. You know that you're not alone. You know that you're not at the whims, whims of, of karma or astrology or fate or, or, or some forces beyond your control. You know that you are held secure in the hands of God. And and even though you wish that meant, you know, it just took away all of the bad stuff, at least you have the confidence that you are, you are secure in him and you can have peace in him. That's a peace that only God can give, and it makes a difference. Now, Joseph trusted God in the face of his own nightmares, and he's learned that. He's learned to trust God. He's learned to lean on him and, and find confidence in him. And, and I wonder if you've learned that lesson. I wonder if you've learned to test God in the hard times, to lean on him in the midst of the difficulties, to find and experience that he can be your peace and he can be your strength in the midst of that. Or... Would you say your faith is maybe a little bit more like Ricky's mother? Just more fragile. Never really expecting much from God. Never really trusting much to God. Never really seeking him for the peace that he has. Just kind of trying to avoid stuff in life because you're not really sure whether you and God are up for it. Faith in Christ matters. God matters in those times. God makes a difference. He, he's the one who can give you peace when you feel powerless. He's the, also the one who can make you fruitful in your affliction. Your relationship to God in those times where it feels like a nightmare, it feels like a, a, a time of testing and trial, can enable you to make a difference in people's lives. He doesn't waste the suffering in our lives, but he allows us to use it for his good, for the good of those around us. He can use us as a channel of his grace. He's the one who can make us fruitful in our affliction. Now, Joseph has said, he's told Pharaoh that God will give him a favorable answer, a shalom answer. But it's not exactly good news, right? He, he doesn't exactly give him a, a, a happy prospects of uh, what is to come. In verse 20, 25, Joseph explains that the two dreams basically mean the same thing. They are, uh, they are repeated for the same reason his own dreams were repeated, so that they couldn't be dismissed. They couldn't be missed. God is... Uh, underlining his message to him with the repetition so that he doesn't uh, misunderstand what, it, what it's saying. 
There'll be seven good years of harvest followed by seven years of terrible, terrible famine. And that was unusual because the Nile provided a secure and stable source of, uh, of, of water for irrigation, and usually that wasn't an issue. But this would be something that none of them had ever experienced. If you read through the passage, there's actually no explanation why there will be coming these seven years of famine. He doesn't say that, that God is out to get you. He, he's not saying that God is, is smiting the, the Egyptians. There's no explanation of any of those things. The reality is that ever since the garden, the ground has been cursed. And so we face afflictions in life. It doesn't matter whether you are Pharaoh and the most powerful person in that part of the planet with all of the money, all of the authority at your disposal, you're going to face afflictions. It doesn't matter whether you are a, a, a slave uh, in, in Joseph's case, uh, an immigrant slave without any power, without any authority, without anything physically going for you, you're going to face afflictions too. We all face afflictions. Nobody is spared them. The Bible warns of that. The Bible explains that. Even still, people sometimes say, yeah, look what happened to that person. It's proof that God doesn't exist. No, actually, it's proof that God does exist. This is exactly how God said it would happen. Nobody is spared suffering, heartache, sickness, or loss. And that's actually a good thing. That's actually a good thing because if all our problems in this life could be solved with enough money and the right technique, then we would be utterly unprepared for what comes next because the problem of death and the judgment that follows can't be solved with enough money or the right techniques. If we could just wipe away all the problems in this life, we would be unprepared for what comes at the end of this life. And the scripture says, man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. That's a trial that we all need to be prepared for. And so the only question that matters isn't whether you think that it's fair that God allows uh, the affliction that comes in this life. It's whether or not you'll face it with the help that he gives. Now, God raises up Joseph for this moment. We have seen that this. He, he has had a, a dream 13 years in the past already that has been preparing him, foreshadowing this moment. But the moment that comes, he hasn't raised up Joseph to do away with the affliction, to, to make it not happen. He's, he's raised up Joseph to enable him to help the, the, the people cope with it, teach him how to deal with it. Starting in verse 34, Joseph essentially tells Pharaoh he's going to have to set aside a fifth of the harvest every year for seven years so that when that terrible, terrible famine comes, they'll have something to live off of. Usually in Scripture, when God's people tell powerful leaders, hey, just, just heads up, something bad's going to happen, this is what you might want to do to it to respond, what do they normally do? They reject the advice and cast them down and send them out and do their own thing, right? Instead, 
Pharaoh here responds with humility. He listens. He does what Joseph says. In this case, it'll involve imposing a new 20% tax on people. And I don't know too much about Egyptian politics, but I don't know any, any country where imposing 20%, raising taxes by 20% is applauded by the people and celebrated uh, where they celebrate their leaders. This will be a, a difficult uh, PR maneuver for even Pharaoh, even so, someone with all of that power. And yet, he follows the plan. It'll save countless lives. It'll deliver the nation. It'll deliver the surrounding peoples. But only if Pharaoh listens to what God has revealed and chooses to respond to the warning. And God shows Joseph that he can make him fruitful in affliction. Here, it is because of his trials, not in spite of him, not in spite of them, that he is able to express and show maturity in this moment. It is because of the trials that he's gone through, not in spite of them, that he can respond to, to Pharaoh and this incredible uh, crisis that is coming with courage and decisiveness. It is because of his trials, not in spite of them, that he's positioned to be the advisor to Pharaoh and provide leadership uh, through this famine and through this, this crisis. And you realize God has been preparing him for this moment, using the difficulties of life, and, and in fact, redeeming each of them to position Joseph to be able to do much good, great good. That's the difference that God makes. He doesn't take it all away, but he can, he can use us to, in the midst of those difficulties, bring great help and blessing. He can use those challenges in our lives to strengthen us and mature us, to make us fruitful in our affliction. And in case you're thinking, Paul, you're just saying that because you're a pastor. You're kind of putting a religious spin on this. I'm not sure that that's there. Hear it in Joseph's own words. In verse 52, he names his second child Ephraim, which means uh, uh, doubly fruitful. And then he gives the reason for it. He says, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That's what God does. That's the difference that God makes. Without God, most people just try to avoid affliction and question their affliction. Question, why, why me? Why is this allowed? Why, am, why is it so hard? With God, you have helped to cope with the affliction, and you can even help people because of it. That's the difference that God makes. Don't get me wrong. There are things that you can do in your life when everything's amazing. And frankly, we'd like to have more of those times. We'd like it to always be like that. But there are things that you can do in this life only because you have walked through the suffering. Only because you have leaned and rested in God in the midst of your difficulties. You learn in those, in those moments that in, when you trust God in your suffering, you learn to minister to hurting people. And what you come to realize is, in this world, there are a lot of hurting people. A lot of people that need ministry. 
And as you walk through those circumstances, God prepares you to be able to, to make a difference. So we've said faith in God does make a difference. He's the one who can give you peace when you feel powerless. He's the one who can make you fruitful in your affliction. And finally, he's the one who can redeem all your losses. He'll bring good out of evil. And when he writes the final chapter in your life, he will replace our suffering with joy to the extent that we will forget the, the, the hardships and the difficulties that we had faced. He'll redeem all of our losses. Now, last week we saw that Joseph had been waiting 11 long years since he had first received those dreams, those promises of what God was going to do in his life. He's been waiting 11 long years. And it felt like, no, this is the moment. He's just, he has just done this great act of, of, of kindness and offered help to someone who is working right alongside Pharaoh, someone who has his ear. And all he's asked is to be remembered, and he's been forgotten. And it felt like God had forgotten him. And yet, what we saw then and what we're seeing in this passage fulfilled now is that God hadn't forgotten him. He was waiting for this perfect timing because God had a bigger plan than just Joseph's comfort. God had a plan to rescue people, millions of people who would have otherwise died had, had this timing not, not been fulfilled, and Joseph hadn't been raised at just this moment. Since last time we, we looked, we have waited two long years, or Joseph has waited two long years for him to finally be uh, elevated. But when the perfect timing comes, it comes in a hurry. In fact, it's described in hurried terms so that we will feel that sense that, yeah, when it's time, it's really time, and it happens all of a sudden. In verse 14, when they call Joseph, it says, they quickly brought him out of the pit. And there'll come a time for all of God's people when God's relief will rush in. It'll feel like we're waiting forever, 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 and then all of a sudden, God will invade either in this life or the next. He will invade our timetable with his relief, and it'll, it'll, it'll feel like it has happened all of a sudden. It's been 13 years since Joseph's coat was ripped from him, when his, his, his dignity was torn away when all that he had was torn away. But he put his faith in God and the promises that God had made to him. And now in verse 42, it says, Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. What his brothers had torn away, had stolen from him, now God restores God redeems those, those losses in our lives. In, in verse 43, we, we're still remembering, wasn't there, wasn't there something in that dream about people bowing down to you? Wasn't there something going on about that? Here in verse 43, Joseph has given one of Pharaoh's chariots and people run ahead of him and shout in the streets, bow the knee. 
that'd have to do something to your ego. That can't be a great idea for leaders, but, but it, it, it is being fulfilled. God's promises are coming true. The dream is alive. And the point isn't that we're all eventually going to be famous. The point isn't that we're all going to have our own chariots and everyone's going to be selling. That's, that's not the point. The point is God keeps his promises. The point is that eventually he will fulfill all that he has promised to us. We'll be clothed in robes of righteousness. We'll be ushered through streets of gold into the presence of God. We will know his, his forgiveness, his cleansing will be made known made new, we'll, we'll enjoy rest, freedom. We'll know that peace and fullness in our hearts. That day will come. It'll feel like we'll, we've been waiting forever, and then it'll rush in upon us. And when that day comes, nobody's going to be asking, what difference does God make? Bobby won't still be asking, why do you still believe in God? And you know what? When that day comes, I think Ricky Gervais will be, one, will be wishing that he'd spent more than an hour to deal with the most important question in his life. God's worth more than that. The question is deeper than that. Joseph got a taste of what that day will be like for all God's people. He actually named one of his sons after the experience, and I love this. In verse 51, it says, he called his firstborn Manasseh, and it's a word that means made me forget. Because he says, God has made me forget all my hardship. Can you believe that? You mean that 13 years of getting kicked to the curb, you've forgotten that? You could just, that could be erased from your memory. Now, it's, it's not all gone. It's not all gone, but it's been transformed. Those memories, he's now seeing them from God's perspective. He's now seeing them in light of the fulfillment. And it's, he's seeing them totally differently. Imagine your worst nightmare, if you would. Think about your bitterest trial. Can you imagine a day when you can't even remember the pain of it? Can you imagine a day when you look back on, on all that you've been through and the, the bitter difficulties of it, and yet as you look back, in light of God's plan, in light of what he's done, in light of how he has come and redeemed you, you will look back and all you can do is smile. Can you imagine that's even possible? Joseph is, has been in that, and he's saying, it's, it is possible. This is what God has done in my life. This is what God does in our lives. Remember Jesus on the cross. How, how could you experience a, a worse tragedy? Stripped, beaten, nailed to a cross, and you know what he had in his mind the entire time? The scripture tells us, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. God makes us forget. He, he, he transforms those losses. He redeems them. 
And that's a promise given to all who put their trust in Jesus and cling to his promises. Revelation 21.4 says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. In that day, nobody will be asking the question, what difference does God make? Why do you bother? What good does he do anyway? Nobody will be asking those questions. Those those won't be the questions of the day. But for those people who have never moved past those questions, those people who have been stuck on them, they'll feel powerless, but there'll be no peace. They will feel the affliction, but now there'll be no one to help. They will feel their losses, but there'll be no one to redeem them. Having rejected and rejected and rejected the offer of salvation that was held out to them in Jesus Christ, they will face that final day, that final judgment, and realize they are all alone without the resources to deal with it. No way to cope. Don't be that person. If you are sitting on the fence with Jesus this morning, don't be that person who throws up your hands and say, why do you still bother? What difference does he make? Don't be that person that lets those questions, those doubts and struggles keep you from dealing with it. And don't be the person who lets somebody else's doubts and struggles keep you from a living relationship with a living God. If you're a parent this morning, don't panic at your kids' questions. Don't freak out that somebody's possibly doubting what they've been told. God is big enough for our questions. God is big enough for our doubts. God is big enough to face. People can kick the tires if we are afraid to let that happen. What does that say about our faith? What does that say about our God? If he is true, if he is real, we can ask those questions, we can kick the tires, we can test him and see his goodness, see his might, see his power. And that's what we should want for all of our children. That's what we should want for our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers. Those questions should be opportunities, not threats to us. God makes a difference. We should, end, we should hear those questions, and we should light up when we hear them. Because we have an answer. We have a God who is alive and real. He changes people's lives, and everybody needs him. So let's look to him now. Let's call on his name and ask him for his help. Oh, Father in heaven, thank you for the difference that you make in our lives. Thank you for the peace that you give to us. Thank you for what you do through us in other people's lives as we open ourselves up to be used by you. And thank you for redeeming our losses. You are the God who 
makes us forget all our hardship. Because you replace the pain with your joy. And in your presence, we have great hope. Father, if there is anyone still sitting on the fence with you, letting other people's questions and doubts keep them from trusting, keep them from responding, draw them near, speak into their lives. For we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.